Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adibayo. I'm Nikki Bandini. And I'm Lars Watson. On today's podcast, football's slowest death is finally and perhaps mercifully terminated. But who is prepared to throw caution to the wind to breathe life back into Barca? Also, how do you know a Jose honeymoon is over? Well, look under the bus. Mourinho's, <laughs> <laughs> Mourinho's back to his old tricks at Roma and someone's about to get run over. And to step over or not to step over, we'll hear how Messi got on when faced with a pitch invader in Marseille. Lush, could yes. we start with the demise of Ronald Koeman? Um, no, no buses and nobody to throw under there. He gets the rap for the failings of Barcelona. Was that fair? It's not fair to hold him up as the reason things have been going wrong. And I think anyone who's expecting things to immediately become good now that he's left uh, is, is in for a slightly rude awakening there. But I think the situation had become pretty untenable. Yeah, bearing in mind, this is not a coach who had a very strong mandate going into the season. Uh, Juan Laporta basically said, well, you can continue if we can't find anyone else. And then they couldn't find anyone else. <laughs> and so they continued. That is not a great situation to go into a new season with. Now, I've on this pod in the past have stuck up a bit for Cuomo because I think there were a lot of people who were a bit slow on the uptake in terms of realizing just how bad the situation is, just how difficult uh, it has been to He'd make. He'd be uh, one of them, possibly. Just, uh, well, no, he's been very clear on how bad it is, and I'm getting to that. I, I think he, last season he, he did in in, a, in some ways a reasonable job, and I think there are issues there that I'm not sure the coach can solve. But this season... I think he almost went too far in the direction of selling the negativity of it and and emphasizing how difficult everything is. And oh no, it's, it's very hard. It's not possible to do anything with these players. At the end of the day, for all the financial problems, we've spoken a lot about it on this pod, and for all the trouble with the squad, their first 11 is pretty good. Like, there are good footballers here, and there's no reason for them to look quite as sort of directionless and, and inept as they have at times this season. And the sort of negativity around it all, I think, became unsustainable. And I think with regards to a coach going, there's always two sides to that. It's the fact that you don't... At least two sides well, to the but, but there, but there are two. But there are two aspects of it. One of them is... 
whether you want the current coach to continue or not, the other side of it, which is equally important, is who do you have lined up to take over? And I, I don't think they would have pulled the trigger on this if they weren't very, very confident that they had a replacement, uh, if not completely lined up, but that, they, that it was something that could be arranged. And it seems to be an open secret who that replacement is, uh, Nikki. Yeah, well, I, it seems very much like it's going to be Xavi, doesn't it? And um, I suppose the the only uh, surprise in that is that it's taken so long. As as Lars said, there was this ridiculous situation in the summer where they basically said, give us two weeks to find the person who's going to take your job. And they couldn't do it. And there was this idea at the time that actually the only reason it wasn't done with Xavi was because uh, Xavi had been presented by Laporta's presidential rival, um, whose name has temporarily popped out of my head, um, during the, the presidential campaign as, as the... That their their person they were going to bring in Xavi and so Laporta maybe didn't want to do it as a matter of pride wanted to explore other options but we don't want to sort of dwell on the finances in this conversation but like in terms of that part of it he's an easy appointment right there's much harder appointments you could go for in terms of, of, of bringing in someone expensive he's someone who understands the club and I think that's like building on what Lars just said it's, it feels like the really important thing here actually is Kuman was was so negative in in the latter part of of that tenure, and there was even these sort of quotes about him saying, "Well, you can't expect me to play ticky ticky with this group of players." And even the fact that he says ticky ticky, it's like a provocation. Like it's a provocation. It's 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 one of those things. It's a throwaway line, but actually, at Barcelona, which has this idea of itself, which has this sort of desire to be a certain emblem in the world, whether or not you agree with that they are, that's what they want to be. That's how they view themselves. I think you, you sort of feel like Xavi is, is going home, isn't it? It's going back to, to, to safe arms. I think it's also wrong from Coleman's perspective, because if, if what he meant by tiki tiki, I think we I think we all assume that he means a sort of a quick short passing, you know, quick combinations in midfield, this sort of thing. And I look at this team and I think that is actually something they should be able to do. Like when everyone's fit here, you have a midfield of Busquets anchoring and then De Jong and Pedri. That's a really sort of tidy, let's play the ball nicely around type of midfield. There's no reason why a team with that me that t- that midfield should sort of loft optimistic crosses in the general direction of Luke De Jong. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. That That, that isn't... One thing is that, again, yeah, they're not the sort of uh, the Guardiola team of yore. But but they're not sort of the Sam Allardyce's Bolton Wanderers either. Like there are some really talented, well, yeah. With apologies to JJ Ococho and and a few other players who <laughs> who graced that team. Maybe they're a bad example. Maybe Sean Dyche's Burnley. They could not. I mean, there was some. The, the holes getting deep. There was, no no no. It isn't actually. I'm I'm get, I'm finding a way out here. There, there was some tiki happening at the Reebok. In fairness to Big Sam, it should be said there is a distinct absence of tiki at Turf Moor, and with the team they had, so so it. Should should be but but this team I think should be able of playing reasonable football I don't think the Luke de Jong thing is their best bet what I'm hearing is it shouldn't be Xavi it should be Sam Aladici <laughs> <laughs> now you said that now, you said that emotion you will take the responsibility for that one the, now there is it is easy and big to, Sam Aladici sorry yeah, yes. <laughs> who of course has a house in Spain so you should be well acclimatised um, Barcelona is not in Spain it's Catalan oh. <laughs> talking about holes to dig yourself into yes. my lord not having that discussion um, <laughs> this is a very this is what happens when Andy's not around we've completely, gone completely off piece the kids, the kids we need Andy to yeah and madness substitute teacher is not in control um, I I <laughs> Was I? Yeah, you were. Sorry. Sorry. I had Sam a really, I had, I had a really good Sam point. I had a really good point. Uh, and Barcelona God, is not technically in Spain. Yeah, I, I think it's well, well, well Lars, um, I'll give uh, Lars space Some since he's stuck on that thought. Um, but I just think it's it's worth sort of emphasising um, what Lars has said, actually, because you don't need to be winning everything to play that style of football. You can play that style of football and be. Frankly, I mean, you could do that and be a mid-table team. You can do that and be a team mm, fighting against mm. relegation. And I, looking at the players, like like Lars says, I actually don't think you have to set your aspirations that low. I think it's worth reminding ourselves that Barcelona are not in a relegation scrap. They're six points off the, the, the top of La Liga right now. It's not like they're completely in a absolutely unthinkable position. Um, but even if you didn't have that level of talent, and this is, look... I'm going to be totally upfront with anyone who's listening to this podcast. I haven't watched Al Sad, but we've all seen the video yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on Twitter of Al Sad playing a neat passing move from the back to the front. 
you can do that theory. You can have that theory with any group of players. You can be Deserbi at Sassuolo last season saying to his team, no, we're going to pass the ball and we're going to uh, to, to play this with um, one-touch football, whether or not we're good enough to, to do it and win every game. Mm. See the heap of goals doing it. And I think... I'm not a Barcelona fan, but I think that's what Barcelona fans and what Laporta want right now. They would rather lose trying to mm. play what they identify with as Barcelona football than lose anyway playing the kind of football mm. that they really dislike. Mm. And that football, the one that they really dislike, was Ronald Koeman um, exemplary of that? Certainly by the end. Certainly by the end. I think his own pessimism. And I don't really want to have a go at him, honestly, because I think if I had been told by my boss, tried to replace you this summer and we couldn't do it, I don't think I'd give my... It's out of order. But well, you, you stay in the job and wait for them to have to pay you off, surely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's been in the job throughout the course of this pandemic. And I wonder whether his job was just to fight a rearguard action and keep... Barcelona relevant one way or another or, or whether he was a stopgap and also he's maybe that wrong or not also maybe the guy who uh, had to send Luis Suarez away the guy who had to be there and be the face of some of those decisions that they had to make yeah. anyway never mind Suarez he's the guy that has was uh, Messi left on his but, watch but that was not the plan no. I mean whereas I think they were clear when he brought when they brought Coleman in there's going to have to be a cleanup here because we can't kind of keep afford to keep paying these players, and it's nice to have a, a big round Dutch face to be the face of, of those uh, tough decisions. But on the subject of Xavi, it, it's very very tempting to to make the joke about how here we have a Barcelona team who are ninth, uh, who looks like they could be in real chance of them missing out on the top four the way things are going. Although the points gap isn't that huge, but you know they're not looking good. Um, financial problems are mounting you know the squad is a bit of a hodgepodge hey guys what we really need is someone who's never coached at a high level before like it's easy to make fun of that mm. and some of my I'm, I'm always a little bit suspicious when great ex-players with very limited coaching experience wander into sort of big jobs I feel like that doesn't always end that well I'm also a little bit suspicious of the fact that someone is uniquely qualified uh, to coach a club because they know the club I mean, what does that even know, mean do they the, the fact they know the names of the tea ladies I mean I don't, I don't quite see it but in the case of Chavi, he's clearly someone who's uh, while he is a manager on some level and has aspirations of managing at Barcelona, he's always going to be hanging over them. Like at some point, Xavi has to coach this team. And maybe the timing isn't terrible because they're in a situation where I think the expectations at Barcelona are as low as they're going to get anytime soon. And they're in a situation where trying to build up the kids and trying to rediscover their identity is probably their best bet because they can't buy their way out of this, not in the short term anyway. Yeah, I, I think there's a few points there that I think are interesting um, because, of course, there's this parallel which we were talking about before, which Tottenham was raising as well with, with Andrea Pirlo at Juventus. And there's a few sort of core differences for me in, in this situation compared to that one. First of all, Pirlo really hadn't coached before. I mean, Xavi, you can you can raise questions about whether it's the same level of football. I, I don't even think I can speak to that because I, I don't. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not covering that um, Al Sad or, or anything in that part of the world, frankly. Um, so. I don't know what the standard of football is, but at least he's been doing coaching. Mm. Um, I think there's also uh, this sort of very important point that you just made, Lars, about the fact that um, Barcelona are not coming from where Juventus were coming from of nine consecutive league titles. They're mm. coming from the low. So you can come in now with low expectations and have some freedom. With Pirlo, he, he won the cup and still wasn't good enough. You had to win the league because that's where the bar was. And I think there's also something else there that, while I, I agree with you that just knowing the sort of identity of a club is not enough. It, it's different. Those two cases are different there again, because the identity of Juventus actually is just win, which is not Pirlo's identity. Pirlo's identity is is a, a, a particular brand of, of football that was all his own, frankly, that was iconic even within Italy. And he became part of Juventus for a while and he won, but that was never brand Pirlo. Brand mm. Pirlo was never just win, baby, mm. which is what Juventus is. Whereas brand Xavi is... It is that Barcelona tiki-taka. Mm. That is what it is. Like he, him and Busquets in that midfield is is that iconic midfield of a generation. So I don't know if it matters, but I think it is different is what I'm saying. I, I think you have a really valid point there because the comparison that I would have made in terms of um, footballing legends returning uh, to their home club, 
the comparison I would have made would be closer to home with somebody like Stephen Gerrard. We, we, we know that there is a warm seat waiting for him there at mm-hmm. Liverpool as and when he's ready. He is not just a legend, though. He's part of a legendary group of players. Whereas Ronald Koeman, as a Barcelona legend, won the European Cup for them mm-hmm. back in the day, etc. But he's never he doesn't have the iconic status of Xavi. Now, I wonder whether that status, what Xavi brings in the way that what Pirlo brings made a difference at Juventus, perhaps. I wonder whether Xavi comes with the kind of kudos that will give him more space than Ronald Koeman had. I think with the fans, definitely. Sorry, you got that. No, no, you're right. Um, what I th- he does come with that, and he comes again at a, at a point in time and not that much well, less than usual is expected. And he also comes when we talk about knowing the club and and blah blah blah. In the case of Xavi, he has the the Barcelona footballing ideology in his blood, mm. and I think that's a big difference that you just touched on. I mean, in a piece of that's knowing the club, though. Isn't no, it? That, it, no, but there's a difference, is what I'm saying. Uh, Steven Gerrard obviously knows Liverpool. Olga Solskjaer knows Man United, but there's no particular way of playing on the field that's that comes with that. Mm. You know, there's no the, the, well, without veering off into Premier League territory, which we're not going to do. There's no United way. This is all nonsense. Like there's there's no specific way of playing. That's the United way. It doesn't exist. Whereas with Barcelona, in, in a piece of very fortuitous timing. Uh, Xavi has very recently done like a coaching video masterclass thingy that's on the internet you can look it up if you want where he sort of in 15 minutes explains the core sort of footballing principles of how he looks at coaching and they're all sort of straight out of the Guardiola era Barcelona post-Cruyffian sort of playbook right so there is a sort of there's a, a tenant of, of how you play football specifically how, how football is meant to be played on the field that comes with that it's not just knowing the club in that he's played there and and, and knows yeah. knows the tea lady's name and this sort of thing. So there is a more specific heritage. How could Ronald not not know that? They're not being. I'm not saying he doesn't that. know it, but why I think, was he unable well, to implement that? If like you're gonna have to ask him about that, Odoton. <laughs> I honestly. But what we've seen throughout Coleman's coaching career. Even if he's even if he's Dutch and has played for Barcelona, he is quite pragmatic in his approach to things. Uh, his Southampton teams and his Everton teams weren't always bad, but they didn't look a lot like the, the teams you might associate him with. So, if anybody does know how I can get the number of a big round friendly face from uh, Holland, do let us know. And other cheeses are available, obviously. Casi seis y medio de la prórroga. Parece que le va a pegar Ronald Koeman. Le va a pegar Kuma, le pega Kuma, gol, gol del Barça, gol de Kuma, ha marcado el Fútbol Club Barcelona. <laughs> Good Lord. Oh my God, the wackiest episode of OTC in a while. <laughs> sorry, I took, us, I took us way off piece, I'm sorry. No, me too, that's fine. When Nicky Bandini is in the house... <laughs> You know that we have to talk about Jose Mourinho. Do we? It will Is it always? Do that? I, I, I would like to talk about <laughs> no, Jose Mourinho. I, I think we should. We should stay. His traveling exploits. It's the always I'm worried about. It's the always I'm worried about. But well, at some point or other, he barges into the conversation, <laughs> doesn't it? You have to keep an eye on him. Whatever else is happening <laughs> in Serie A, because you never know what's going to happen next. Oh God, yes. I mean, the last two games, of course. He got sent off at the weekend and you still had to keep an eye on him because I don't know if you guys have seen the videos, but after he's sent off in the game against Napoli, he finds a position down in like a lower part of the stadium behind the advertising boardings and he's jumping and he's waving his arms, like trying to jump and be sort of still communicate with his team from behind the, the hoardings. And then, of course, uh, on Wednesday night against Cagliari, he's there in, in the, the stands because he's been, he's serving his suspension from the red card he got and he's wearing these headphones that are... It's so stupid because I'm actually a really late AirPods adopter, right? Like I really didn't didn't like the idea of them. Like I'm going to lose them. I'm just used to stuff like that. But I got them. And now seeing something about Mourinho, I don't know if it was a particularly ostentatious cable, but somehow he makes him wearing white headphones a story even even when he's not there. I'd, you're right, Dutton. Whatever we do, <laughs> Mourinho will elbow his way in and make sure we talk about it. I think when he's jumping up and down, it's not to communicate with his players, but it's to wave at the cameras. Look, this is where the action is. The story's here now, not on the coach's bench. Having said that, there is a real argument to say that it's been a half season of two halves for him so far. 
Yeah, things started really well. Um, I, I, you know, we we had Mourinho sort of iconic, iconic running down the sideline moment at the Olympico. We had uh, some really positive signs from players like Tammy Abraham arriving and, and doing well. We have some players who are still doing really well, like Lorenzo Pellegrini under him. And then um, results in a couple of, of big matches didn't go great. Obviously, losing the derby is, is always bad news for anyone in, in Rome, and he did. Um, then they got absolutely walloped by Bodo Glimt, who I know Lars has got some things to say about in the Europa Conference League. And um, I'm sure everyone's heard it by now. Well, we've all heard the Lars's <laughs> chuckle. The chuckle, yeah. Oh, my God. they came good. out and threw half his squad under the bus. Um, he said after that game that basically there are only 12 or 13 players in his squad he can rely on, which he increased to 13 or 14 by the way. <laughs> and I, I wasn't sure who it was at first, but actually I noticed that Kumbula, who'd initially been sort of put to the margins, has been sort of back back integrated again. So maybe that was the, the extra one. You see, we love Jose because... You and he increases the number of players that he can rely on by one or two, and that's now a story. Because who is this player? I don't know if everyone noticed that. That just the number stuck in my head for some reason. No, it absolutely works. Okay, Buddha glimpse. Yeah, we we had the full Mourinho experience in Norway uh, last week because when he first came up. And if you don't know, Budoglimt, it's not just in Norway, but it's quite far north of Norway. It's, it's within the, the Arctic Circle, actually, just about. Uh, so when he came up last week, you know, late October, it's a, bit, it's a bit chilly up there. So he had done his sort of pre-match press conference and he came out as a little place where they held. And there was a video that was put up on social media. Well, first of all, it's dark and it's like zero minus one, one degree around about there. There's a little bit of snow flying sideways, quite windy. This is uncomfortable weather. But Mourinho was loving it. Like he was pretending to get undressed and he sort of unprompted. And, and to be fair to him, there's no need for him to do this. He unprompted, went straight over and started signing autographs and taking selfies with like local kids who were playing on a pitch next by. And, and you just really saw Mourinho in just rock star mode. And when he's in that mode, he's he's like nothing else in football. Like he's an incredible incredibly charismatic guy and he's irresistible when he's like he is, he is he is he's really he's quite he's quite something and then about 24 hours later you have him basically declaring that half the squad are terrible because they've lost uh, 6-1 in this game and I mean that is the full Mourinho gauntlet isn't it um, Buda Glimt were incredible in this game and yeah it was a slightly sort of second string uh, Roma but also they did bring on half their first 11 uh, in the second half things got worse they brought on things got significantly worse and I do feel like it's possible motivation probably plays a part here. They know this is the sort of tertiary European competition. They probably don't want to be in it, never mind play it inside the Arctic Circle. It's it's really not something that, you know, the, the likes of Lorenzo Pellegrini and Brian Cristante sort of go into the season looking forward to. I mean, this is no fun. But I do want to flag up Bulgrim because we have spoken about them on the pod before. Uh, you, you might remember they're a team who traditionally almost a bit of a yo-yo team. They, they get relegated occasionally. They produce good teams now and again, have a cup run here and a get here and there, have a bit of a heritage of producing good players. But Bodo is a place of you know, 50, 55,000 people. They, they, they can't really sustain a top team in Norway. They're, they're a very respected club, I'd say, but not someone who you expect to be in the title race. Last couple of years, what they've done is absolutely unbelievable. Um, again, with what is, uh, even in Norwegian context, a pretty small budget. I think their total outlay for wages last year was in around four million pounds. That's for the whole club, all players, staff, everyone. It's not a lot of money. Uh, they, they they ran away with the with the league last season. Now, of course, being a Norwegian club, if you come from nothing and you're unexpectedly good, what happens is your team gets picked apart. You've got no chance of keeping anyone. So they lost their entire front three uh, last season. Uh, really, the the attackers who so they had to go shopping and without spending a lot of money. They had to replace them, and and they have over the winter, and they're they're top of the league yet again now this season. Uh, it's truly remarkable, and they've been successful. Uh, through some innovative coaching and Kjetil uh, Knudsen, their coach, hasn't taken a lot of credit, but they've also created an environment where players are players who haven't always been successful in their careers are very successful and they do stuff like encourage them to meditate and they have a, a retired fighter pilot who, who has mental coaching sessions with them and stuff like this. And going through the Bodoglim team, this isn't like a Norwegian all-star You have to bring team. in the fighter pilot. Well, you have to. It's so cool. Uh 
going through the team, this isn't like a group of Norwegian league all-stars. Like uh, Erik Botheim, who scored twice against Roma and had three assists, he was released by Rosenborg in the winter. Like, no, he didn't. He wasn't sold. He was. They didn't want him. Off you go, Erik Botheim. And he went up to Borderlands, and now he's doing very well. One, one of Erling Holland's best mates, by the way. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that uh, was in all the Italian. <laughs> 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 yeah, amico di. Amico di Holland. You may have seen there is a. That's mu- why he's so good, obviously, because they're friends <laughs> there's, somehow. There's a kind, there's a very cute music video on they're the internet. They're running out of things to say in the Italian press, sorry. There's a very cute music video that Holland and a few friends did when they were young that's on the internet where they do sort of a kind of a hip-hop rap type song and, and do some very awkward Norwegian youth dancing. It's extraordinary and I love the fact that they haven't taken it down. It has like 8 million hits now. A lot of people have seen this. But they call themselves the Flow Kings and there was a, there's a lot of flow going on here. And there's, it's a trio. One of them is young Erling Holland before his growth spurt he looked unrecognisable but one of the other two kids is Eric Botheim who's now scored twice against Roma so you know and he's very the, good the sports with uh, yeah, uh, well, yeah. yeah it's the sporting <laughs> heritage of the Flow Kings is, I don't think anyone saw that coming when they when they dropped this track not trying to be funny as interesting as Buda Glimt's great Patrick Berg <laughs> the, the midfield the general the third victory. generation Buda Glimt player both his father and grandfather played for them yeah. sorry I'll leave it now no 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 just, thank you team. very much I do want to find out about just how Italians and particularly Roma um, experience the being thrown under the bus Mm. bit. Luke Shaw knows what that's all about. Uh, I wonder whether the Roma players have reacted to that. Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, Just to sort of quickly say on on Lars's point about maybe this wasn't the competition that um, some of those Roma players are most excited about. I'm I have no doubt in my mind that Mourinho wants to win that competition. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, the way that tournament is structured, if you finish first in the group, you skip around. So mm-hmm. even more, you should have an incentive to want to win that game. He says, I think this is part of his anger, actually. He says he did tell you know his players that this was the, the toughest game in the group. This was the most important one. This was the toughest team and we should have had a better attitude. But that's... Um, its own part of the story. I, I think it's been quite interesting seeing how it's been reacted to in Italy. Um, and and maybe there's a different reaction in Italy as a whole to what there is in Rome. And in the end, the only one that matters to Mourinho is what happens in Rome, um, where I think his... What uh, do you mean? So what's the distinction there? What happens in Rome oh, there's, versus there's what happens in Italy? There's always a distinction. And I would say that's not just on this subject, but but almost all topics different. Because Rome is, Rome is its own place. Rome is very much... Um, its own city with its own ebbs and flows, but also an incredibly intense media environment of its own. Mm. There's a huge mm. number of, of Roman newspapers, of Roman, even more so Roman radio stations. And Roman, Roman rather than Italian. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A huge amount of, of Roman local media who cover Roma and Lazio in an incredibly intense way, who are constantly competing with each other for ratings and therefore tend towards dramatic takes. <laughs> and it's, it's extremely, extremely intense in Rome. And I think what's sort of fascinating about Mourinho is actually this, whatever else is happening right now. And I think a lot of people are looking at this going, is, is that good management? Is that good management <laughs> to like say goodbye to half your to the squad, demotivate them like that? But his team supporters, Roma supporters are loving it because first of all, there's this sort of narrative that has been quite widely bought into that well we've been nothing like title contender since the the beginning of the, of the century which isn't even true they actually have come quite close to it but it's a narrative that nevertheless gets to be run with that we haven't been a title contender in forever um and here's this guy who has won titles everyone who's who's trying to take shots at him they're they're the ones who are in the wrong he's the one who knows what he's talking about and and everyone who's been here forever losing needs to shut up and and get on board with this train mm. so he has that power at least for now in Rome they've bought into I, the hype I, I, th- I think you'll find there are a few Tottenham supporters who thought that for a while as well and then you know things went the way they did for sure but there's also an, another part of it I think which is um, the thing that he's criticising a lack of effort mm. I would say that's like the number one certainly when we talk about the most vocal fan groups which are the ultras the number one thing I hear from every Italian club all the time is we don't care if we lose we just want to believe that the players are as committed as we are. And this narrative that Mourinho is spinning is is that narrative. It is the, 
if you're not committed to working hard and doing things properly, then you're going to be out. And that's why it's interesting, even with that sort of throwaway line I said before about the 12 to 13, move to 13 to 14 and seeing that Kambula's got brought back into the group (laughs) because Kambula's done one social media post, which is, I can't remember exactly how he phrases it, but just like, you know, head down hard work or something. And you think this is, this is someone who's saying, you know, yes, captain, I'll do, I'll do what you say, boss. And I do think that with us or against us thing has been such a continuing theme of Mourinho's career. And I'm not surprised by it. And I, I, I think it's, it's surprising to me that he has thrown so much of his squad though under the bus all at once. Cause I think even at Inter, even when he won the treble, he had his within his own squad, he had his his um people who were sort of enemies is the wrong word, but I can't think of a better way to put it right now. His his distractors, haters. Mm. It was Balotelli. Mm. But it was Balotelli was easy, right? It's one player, mm. he's a teenager, he has no sort of weight, and you can isolate him. And and somehow that worked for, for Mourinho and Inter. It was all part of the same siege mentality that got everyone who was with him pushing all the way through. Doing it with this many players, I mean, clearly part of it is brinksmanship with the ownership and saying, get me more players in January. But they've already spent like 90 million euros in the in the summer. I, I It feels very on the edge to me. And look, I, I know I'm going to have people come because they already have on, on social media that the Roma support are with him on this. Mm. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. But to me, it feels very, very on the edge for how things are. I thought it was a very interesting turn of phrase you used, which I completely agree with, by the way, that whether it's wise for him to demotivate half the squad by saying they're all terrible, I completely agree with you that that's what the net result of his behavior is. But I think Mourinho would argue that he is trying to motivate them, not demotivate them. And I think that is kind of the heart of some of the man management issues Mourinho has had in the second part of his career. Because I think when he came up as a manager, when he came into the game with, with Porto, with Chelsea, with Inter, if you look back on the characters he was working with, a lot of the players that he got on with and who did well for him were players who, if you said something like that in the media, they would probably knuckle down and work hard to, to prove him wrong. But I think there's more of a tendency now. You know, back in the day, if you if you insulted a player and said, you're, you're terrible, you don't work hard, blah, 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 they'd probably, oh, I'll show you. Whereas yeah. if you do that now, they'll call their agent and say, the manager's a shithead, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, there's See, a difference sort of in well, the mentality. That's a really there. important point. They'd call their agent yeah. rather than maybe call call their captain. No, but yeah. because really when Mourinho works, he's got a strong captain. Uh, again, Which I'm sorry. Does. Yeah, Which he, he, really he has that in Roma. Then yeah. why chuck everybody else under the bus when the captain can do a lot of the lifting for him? It's, it's actually the one thing I, I want to highlight because I feel like I, I am critical of Mourinho with a bunch of things. And I think that the flip side of this coin is without question, if there is one clear standout success for him so far this season it is Lorenzo Pellegrini who is the other side of this coin here is the embodiment of Rome he is a Rome and he's our captain and he is going to be the one who I trust for everything and I will praise him every opportunity I get he does he praises him constantly mm. and it's that's the Wesley Schneider that's mm. exactly what he did at Inter is he made this one sort of character into into the one he trusted and Schneider has said it you know I would have gone for, to war for him I would have done anything for him it- because there is, sorry, I was going to ask that. There is usually this sort of Dennis Hopper to Mourinho's Colonel Kurtz uh, character, someone who really buys into it, often in a way you don't expect. Like Ander Herrera became this sort of very completely different player at United mm-hmm. under Mourinho. Um, I think it was uh, Rory Smith of the Times who said he's gone from being this sort of slightly dainty uh, passing midfielder to being some kind of roving warmonger. And that was definitely him reacting to what Mourinho wanted from his midfielders. And we saw some players tried to be sort of more uh, combative at Tottenham. It didn't really suit some of them. It was awkward, wasn't it? On, on the it was really strange. Was, you could tell yeah. that that was a squad that was not responding well. So anyway, has there been someone at Roma who is like, suddenly, I'm just going to now start kicking everyone and fighting <laughs> being mean I don't think I've seen that quite yet it's just if there's one player who's transformed it's Pellegrini Pellegrini has been astonishingly good this season absolutely rescued the team from a bad performance against Cagliari on Wednesday scoring one goal setting up the other one he has been a one-man team in some of these games and he's a good enough to do that and which I wouldn't have said about him a year ago so he has been someone who's taken a, a big step forward in his career whether it's 
just Mourinho or other things, but he certainly is taking a big step forward this season. This is what Dan asked on Twitter, and apologies, Dan, we had a bit of time uh, coming to your tweet because we had to do a kind of a Buddha glimpse by night. Is is Serie <laughs> There's R... not much going on in Buddha by night, I can tell you. Isn't it? <laughs> it gets Maybe that's why they're so good. Nowadays. There's nowhere for the players to go and get in trouble. <laughs> is Serie R quickly becoming uh, a two-horse race between Juve and Inter? The old stallions, if you like, repeatedly... Uh, falling over the hurdles. Also, is Atalanta's customary uh, slow start to the season and strength of the competition a sign that this might be the year they finally miss out on the Champions League? Well, it's interesting when I heard two-horse race that those were not the two teams that I thought of (laughs) because the top of Serie A right now has a bit of a gap um, forming already because Milan are currently seven points clear of Inter in in first place. Napoli, as we're recording, have the game still to play tonight. But if they win, they will also be seven points clear of Inter. So it's Napoli and um, Milan are the two teams who've been setting the pace so far this season. Juventus are coming off, um, I don't know when this tweet was sent, but they're coming off a Wednesday night defeat to Sassuolo that leaves them 13 points off the pace in Serie A, which is literally no team has ever come from 13 points behind to, to win the league. Now, of course, Hasn't been that long that we've been three points for a win in the grand scheme of things. But still, it's a long way back for Juventus now. So no, I I don't think it's two horses. I think that this season of all seasons, it feels like a a pretty open field to me. What about Atalanta? Atalanta have definitely taken a little step back this season. And I don't know if that's partly just to do with some of the absences they've had. I think that the game against Manchester United was really unfortunate because they were missing... Four out of five of their defence, if you count the wingbacks as, as as part of that defence as well. Um, some of that has, has weighed in, in the league. I think that for all the best win in the world, there is still some failure to fill the gap left by Papu Gomez, but they're still doing well. They're still in that fight for the top four spots. They're just not, they're not threatening as they have at some points in the last few years to be a, a perhaps a title contender as well. Willy Wonka, vediamo il movimento di Pippo Inzaghi, attenzione, Pippo il tiro, gol! Pippo, Pippo mio, impazzisco, Pippo mio, impazzisco, grazie! A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Detective Aveline. Hearing you, Aveline. Go ahead. We've got the body of a male on Derwood Street, Whitechapel, just behind the tube, a Mark Allen Nichols. His throat has been cut, a stab wound below his shoulder blade, and, uh... Yeah, she's uh, she's cut off his knob and put his bollocks in the recycling bins. Stack presents a thrilling new audio fiction. She cut his throat, unbollocked the guy, 
and decocked him for good measure. The body of a man brutally murdered in Whitechapel was discovered this morning. That was Jackie's way. Evil, bloodthirsty, sexually explicit and just, yeah, just bloody horrible, really. Step into the scene. Me, yours truly, moi, that's uh, me, detect lead detective, Freddie Abeline of Scotland Yard. There is a man next to us who has been brutally murdered and dismembered. We'll go and find his member then. Jesus Christ. Oh, but we've kept his AirPods in, I see. What's he listening to? Death metal? Zombie nation? Follow me as I hunt the most vicious serial killer known to man. Good Lord, she stuffed his eye sockets with his own bollocks. (laughs) Jackie the Ripper. The infamous Whitechapel murders retold by the makers of The Offensive. Available now on all podcast platforms. Sorry, Sally, I got your shoes. Ah, it's my wagamama from earlier. Let's have a closer look. Looks like noodles. Nope, him. Jackie the Ripper. Hold on to your bollocks. That is in Marseille's. I was going to give you the reggae version, but I won't because there's a lot of madness going on in Marseille at the moment. Another punch up at this old, uh, famous ground and team. What's going on, Lash? You say punch-up. It got a bit lively on Sunday. Uh, at, Nine at the, policemen were injured? Well, and, and yeah, 20-something arrests and there were some objects being well. thrown. Um, I, obviously not good. And they're, they're a bit of a rowdy bunch, the Marseille fans always have been. I, I, honestly, what worried me more uh, was the pitch invader. Uh, and Because I, being serious for a second, I think that the world we live in now... It is a problem if security is so lax that you have a pitch invader who basically is able to just run up to Messi unobstructed. I feel like there's a several layers of security that's failed very badly there. And, and that I, I personally think that's a lot more serious uh, than, than a few objects being thrown, to be honest, even though you don't want to see that either. Uh, on a more flippant note, what, what, impressive turn of pace from the pitch invader who basically closed down Messi uh, with the speed and enthusiasm uh, not quite seen from some of the Marseille players. Um, no, I, I'd like to talk about Marseille because I think they're one of the teams who you sort of low-key should keep a lookout for uh, this season if you're watching a bit of European football now. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain are obviously leading the way in, in, in Liga on 28 points after 11 games, but uh, we have this sort of group of, of Lens, surprisingly, and Nice and Marseille, and and then, I guess, uh, following up. And, and Marseille, under Jorge Sampaoli, think, I think could be a, a team to watch. Now, you, of course, having done a lot of work with the great Tim Vickery over the years, will have heard a lot about Jorge Sampaoli. But I'm not sure we've had too many excuses to talk about him on OTC. Uh, Sampaoli is uh, someone who is a dedicated follower of Marcelo Bielsa, uh, to the point that I believe at one point early in his career, he sent a letter of apology to Bielsa because one of his teams had, had played quite badly and he felt he'd sort of let the Bielsa philosophy down. He hadn't represented Bielsa in a good way and he, and he, he felt very bad about that. Uh, he's someone who we remember, you might remember from a sort of slightly ill-fated stint in charge of the Argentine national team, uh, which didn't come off for him at all. Uh, he was a year at, at Sevilla. He did very well in charge of, of, of Chile, so he's had a kind of a mixed career. But he's a very um, eye-catching figure because he's very expressive on the touch line. He always moves around. He's always pacing, constantly berating the referee or a port. You, you don't want to be the the fourth official uh, when a Sampaoli team is playing. I think that's quite a, a worrying experience. And I, the reason I want to flag him up is that he's assembled and Marseille have assembled for him a pretty wacky team, to be honest. Uh, there, are some, there are some really interesting characters in this team. Uh, and um, you can start with like uh, the, the Arsenal outcasts, William Saliba and Matteo Guendouzi, who've both been very good this season. Uh, Saliba really thriving in a sort of wide uh, centre-half position in the back three, where he's looking very impressive. And watching him play for Marseille, it's, it's almost strange that he had like no chance at all at Arsenal. Very mysterious. Guendouzi is still a bit of a head case on the pitch, but in this sort of system, when he's allowed to roam around, seems to suit him quite well. But then you also have guys like Cengiz Under, who is this undeniably gifted but incredibly frustrating wide player for, at Roma who's, who was used against PSG in almost like a really aggressive wing-back role, which is a very strange thing to do with Cengiz Under. But there he was. Um 
you have Dimitri Payet who had 34. You know, he's uh, he, he's not in peak physical condition, but is he's... He 34 now? Yeah, he's 30. Oh, my goodness. Dimitri Payet is 34. And, and, and physically, like, he's he's enjoying his life, I think, but he's looking... <laughs> he, he's still a guy who can provide moments of magic. And and, and tactically, this team, it, it's not... If you're familiar with Marcello Bielsa, it's not going to necessarily surprise you, but they set up in this strange system where they have a three-man back line and then two central midfielders in front of that. And then almost like a lot a line with sort of very attack-minded wing-backs and two attacking midfielders and a striker. It's a very strange system that's not like... You won't see a lot of teams in Europe play like this. And uh, for someone who... Why do you think they're playing that system? Well, it's, uh, Sampaoli likes it. it. It gives him... So he wants to press high. He wants to have a lot of options when you go forward. And just as someone who... I watch way too much football and the thing I then end up developing a real affinity for are teams who look like no other team. Like when you see, this is a very odd shape for this team to be in. You see players turning up in areas where you don't expect there to be players. You see very different sort of shapes of passing happening. Marseille currently this season, definitely one of those teams. And I've seen a few people say that the uh, La Classique, the game against uh, La Classique, the game against PSG wasn't that good. And I completely disagree. I thought it was a really sort of intense game there was a tension there at all times and uh, and yeah I, I mean, I've been enjoying Marseille so far this season yeah, it, don't you just love football you can get a nil-nil draw and um, it's a great game oh, yeah. <laughs> the Yanks won't get that uh, and a lot of people around the world won't get that but it's a great game because Larch has seen just too much football you can't <laughs> distinguish between one team and another unless they have a different system you can't I, I understand where you're coming from, Tom. You can't throw the Americans under the bus like that. I, I, I know too many Americans who, who love this game and who back. shared you're that feeling with right. me, actually, of what they actually most loved about this game. It's actually a really common theme. I, I did um, spend, lived in America for two years and I spent some time with the fan groups out there. And one of the really common things I, I sort of actually got was that feeling that um, the fact of one goal being such a momentous event in a football game compared to other sports that they'd followed um previously was um was part of the allure mm. was part of the the power of it that not knowing if there's going to be any goals but if there is that there's such events um i i think uh Lars has spoken wonderfully about why this marseille team is interesting there's another player there who he didn't mention who doesn't quite fit the freelancing mold but um it's it's Eric Millick the mm, centre yeah, forward yeah, yeah. who's just been out with a, a knee injury for the summer missed the Euros, um, but because Payet has been playing sort of as a centre forward in his absence, hasn't he? And mm-hmm. So now you've got Milik back and perhaps that allows Payet to play in, in a position that, that suits him a little bit better, although Payet has been scoring goals by the handful, so I don't know. But uh, um, Milik was, unfortunately, he scored a very nice goal, well-taken goal against PSG. That was just a little bit offside, so oh. that was annoying. Um, He's one of those players who I think I've, for, for, for reasons that I can't put my finger on, I'm always sort of rooting for him a little bit. And uh, he's had a lot of injuries. He had a, a bright start at Napoli and then injury and injury. And it seems like that perhaps may continue all through his career at this point. But but I like him from Marseille because he breaks the mould a little bit with this team where there's a lot of positional rotation and, and mm. Guendouzi running around and turning up where you least expect him <laughs> and Payet sort of having fun. And again, I cannot stress how weird it was to see Cengiz Under play like a wingback. Like, what is happening here? But then in the midst of all this sort of quite strange stuff, uh, you got an old-fashioned number nine who will look to go into the box and, you know, get his stick across on this Polish head and uh, I'll see what I can do with it. Well, it's, it's an anchor but what I love about that is it's almost like instead of planting your anchor at the bottom of the sea you've planted your anchor up in the sky yes <laughs> exactly right no, and, and I think the game against Marseille uh, the game against PSG sorry part of the reason why it was just constantly tense was as dysfunctional as PSG are so far and I don't want to talk too much about them because there will be time to talk about PSG on this pod this season as dysfunctional as they are, you still have this thing any moment when any PSG player have the ball, they could spring Mbappe in behind, right? So anytime they get the ball, you're kind of worried that this could go very wrong, especially when Marseille are so happy to, to send players high up the field. So there was this tension there. And of course, they went down to 10 men because Ashraf Hakimi got himself sent off. And we joke about PSG having to basically defend with with eight men, with just seven outfielders, because you've got Mbappe and Neymar and Messi who don't do much. Then they lost one of the players who also do, does something. So they, they, they were completely sort of... Um, 
And frankly, they were in a situation that Marseille, I think, will be disappointed not to have exploited. But there was there wasn't a situation where you had ten you had ten men, you had nine outfielders on the pitch, three of which were Mbappe, Messi, and Neymar, uh, which left an awful lot of work to be done from the rest of it. And it, it, it was very very fascinating. Uh, and uh, as far as nil nil goes, uh, I really enjoyed it. Quelle reprise Le papa Ouh Un but d'anthologie Oh, quel joli but Do remember, you can tweet us at any time during the course of the week at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adebayo, at Nicky Bandini, and at Lash Severston. Let's go through some of these tweets that we've received. This, I do love it when listeners anticipate or preempt the sort of director's cut of OTC, <laughs> the conversations that didn't quite make the final edit, as it were, because um, we were talking about Olivier Giroud, the handsomest man in football, uh, being on the football ramble earlier on. And Simon has sent me a tweet which says, could Giroud prove to be the most astute piece of business in Serie A this season. Uh, seems to be breaking the uh, post-Inzaghi number of... Uh, or number nine. <laughs> he seems to be breaking the post-Inzaghi number nine curse at Milan. Who knew there was a number nine curse? <laughs> oh, everyone in Milan knew there was a number nine curse. It's, yeah, famous since Inzaghi wore that shirt. Um, I think it's no one's hit double figures in all the time. The number, number nine shirt has been... Players who hit double figures and switched to number nine shirt and didn't do it like Fantex. So it's, it's been a real haunted shirt for a while. And Giroud showed up and didn't didn't care about that. He hasn't done it yet, by the way. He might not either. But I think it's an astute piece of business. The most astute in all of Serie A is a very high bar. And there have been some young players signed, such as indeed even at Milan, Mike Magnan, who I think in the long run will turn out to be an even more astute piece of business because Donnarumma was almost impossible to replace and yet you found someone without breaking the bank who I think is going to be very good for a very long time. So the most astute is a high bar but he's definitely off to a a bright start. Uh, This from Olive. Is there any league that's not in the current big five leagues that could soon make more of a mark on the continent? Also known as a good TV deal, a team having Mm. an overall good run in a European competition or even just the quality of the league going up in recent years. Love the pod. Uh, this feels like a kind of sort of a podcasting infidelity here to to bring this up when when Andy's not around, but it's been in terms of the UEFA coefficient, it's been touch and go between Portugal and Liga recently, uh, in terms of who's actually the the fifth uh, most successful league. The UEFA coefficient, of course, is calculated on the basis of what the teams do in Europe, and uh, and and uh, there's been a real threat of Portugal usurping Liga as the sort of fifth rated uh, league in in Europe, but based on the very positive results of the three big teams there. So, I mean, whether the Portuguese league will ever have a big sort of renaissance, I mean, I doubt it. Uh, but the, the top three teams there are all teams who can really make a fist of it in Europe. And that then trickles down in terms of more European places, which means slightly more money coming into the league. So there's that. I, can't, I can't believe that Lars didn't say Norway. <laughs> I mean, I there's bias and then there's insanity. Like, you have to... <laughs> Be realistic about these things. <laughs> and incidentally, be realistic about that infidelity as well, because, you know, podcasting... I'm just saying, talking um, about the Portuguese league when Andy's not here feels wrong. I know, I know. Um, podcasting monogamy feels like a piece of wood, but even when Andy's here... I don't, so, don't even know what's happening I was trying now. to get that I would also just say, and ages again, and ages another thing weeks. that I feel is Andy Brassel territory, which is... You know, Turkey still feels like an untapped... I mean, the, the the amount of passion for football and the number of people who care about football in that country f- makes it feel to me like the Turkish clubs should be more successful. Now, the reasons for that, why that isn't, again, uh, the good Mr. Brassel perhaps can enlighten us. I, I don't know enough about it. But, but the, those two leagues, I think, are worth flagging. I can tell you, they won't be voting for Christmas. <laughs> As we always do, we ask you both to offer a game of the week. And since you've been last here, Nikki, we have a little bit of... No, actually, you've done one with a little bit of a food twist to it as well, haven't you? Oh, I have, and I forgot we're doing that. 
Oh, oh no. did you? Oh, well, there are so There's many Italian you, dishes. So many things. There yeah. are so. She's lucky, jump. exactly. Come on. For yeah. her. I mean, if it was Norwegian. Well, food. some lutefisk. <laughs> Trust me, I've eaten that stuff. It ain't it's, what it's supposed to be. Hey, it's good it's if it's not good. Good. It's um, boiled fish. <laughs> So, uh, should we start with Lars then? After I mean, I'm, I'm all right. I can do one. But you go first. Okay. Uh, listen, the bald fish. just because we didn't talk about them and some listeners might feel like that was an oversight given the seismic results this week, uh, I'm going to look at Union Berlin, Berlin versus Bayern Munich. Now, that's not an obvious uh, game of the week candidate, perhaps, but I think some... Um, Extra focus will be on Bayern as they look to bounce back after being humiliated, humiliated, I say, by Gladbach in the DFB Pokal this week. They lost 5-0 uh, to Gladbach and um, not entirely undeserved either. Gladbach, uh, once they went ahead, they did something quite clever, which not a lot of German teams do if they do go ahead against Bayern, which is they kept attacking they kept trying to get at them kept pressing them kept trying to trying to make life difficult for them there was no sense of retreating and waiting to buy and to to ground them down which i think is a very normal and human reaction when you go a one nil up against a big team so so gladbach just fearless in their approach uh dio of marcano had a terrible day at the office for 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 Bayern in their defense uh and Again, I should stress, even if this was a cup, they had a very strong team out by it, and this was a completely unexpected defeat. And, of course, you'd expect them to be fine. I mean, they, they're top of the league and all of this. But, you know, it puts a little bit of extra extra spice to the game against Union Berlin this week to see how they react. Um, what's the halftime notch that you've got for us? Mm, sausage. <laughs> what, just sausage? <laughs> like a bra- let's let's go bratwurst. Let's have a bratwurst and some vice bear, and off you go. It's a German sausage, folks. And Nikki, um, I'm so predictable. We were talking about this before we came on. I do always say a Serie A game, but but it is talking. it is the correct answer the right this week. Answer. And we're going to get it's some pasta right to go with it as well. Um, you're not going to get past anything oh. else. Um, uh, the game of the week for me is Roma against Milan on Sunday night. How could it not be? We've just talked about Jose Mourinho. He's still box office. And how do you not want to see whether or not his team, which is currently for all of the, I think I've spun probably too pessimistic an angle about things. They are fourth in the table and they're going up against Milan, who are the league leaders. It's a big, big game for, for both teams. Certainly, uh, Roma, if they can were to win this game, and they haven't won the biggest games yet because they lost to Juventus and they lost the Derby, but if they could win this game, close that gap a little bit at the top of the table, keep themselves in in the title conversation, that's one part of it. Obviously, on the other side of it, Milan, it's a young team under Stefano Pioli who are just taking strides and strides and strides. I think both they and Napoli, the early front runners, have this thing hanging over them which is going to be a concern that in January the Africa, Africa Cup of Nations rolls around they're going to lose some important players they're going to lose Frank Kessier they're going to lose Ishmael Benesser and so keeping this momentum while they have everybody there is huge I think a win over Roma would be a, a, especially a way to Roma would be a huge statement win um, and I think uh, it's just a really compelling game I think Stefano Pioli is in some ways it's almost like this opposite identity to Mourinho because Pioli is Without question, in my mind, one of the absolute best man managers I see in in all of um, of Europe at the moment, and the way he does it is in this very nurturing way. You listen to any of his young players, Rafael Leao, Fikayo Tomori, Brahim Diaz. They all say the same things. They say he has such detail. He'll talk to you about little things in your game and help you get them right. And I'm sure Mourinho is doing that as well. But I'm just talking about public narratives here. Pioli is cast as this sort of bring everyone together, put his arm around you, manager, whereas Mourinho is this more abrasive, you're with me or against me, manager. And I think that that clash of styles and and the, the football these teams have been playing, I'm fascinated to see how it goes. And you will have a delightful time if you uh, were able to enjoy some Roman soupli with it, which is rice ball with a little bit of um, mozzarella melted through the middle of it they sell deep fried in lots and lots of kiosks through Rome and is a classic snack to have when you're on the way to the Olympico can I have more please <laughs> Lutefisk this was a stack production and part of the Acast creative network 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.